Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, Saturday, November 4th, 2023. Today, as we do during the school year, we look forward to tomorrow's Old Testament and Epistle reading. These tend to help us better understand the themes for the day. Um, Although, I'm not sure exactly which text, uh, if it'll be the Gospel or if it'll be one of these readings that... Um, your guest pastor will be preaching. I'll be on my way to Fort Wayne for the annual Good Shepherd Institute, which is a, <clears throat> well, here's the flyer. Uh, Good Shepherd Institute, Living Tradition is the title this year, and uh, celebrating Lu- the 500th anniversary of Luther's Formula Missi, which is the uh, the liturgy the liturgy for the Mass, that Luther Luther's reform of that. So, what do they, they tell me what Good Shepherd Institute is? Do they give me a... No, they never really do. All right. So, uh, it features music. It has focuses for both pastors and musicians. Uh, it'd be a great opportunity for congregations that have musicians to go with their pastor to a conference um, that focuses on their work that they do together. All right. But anyway, uh, I have no such blessing here uh, as far as having a musician at this point, although we can work on that. But... Uh, and of course, I barter my attendance to the conference, so that benefits you as a congregation, uh, minimizes uh, your cost. Most of the cost is uh, covered um, by them, um, but I do that uh, recording. And so the, a lot of the recordings you hear before our daily prayer comes from the work that I do for, uh, this is our seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Anyway, so I'll be on my way tomorrow, so you have a guest pastor, and uh, uh, so I don't know which she'll which focus on, what themes he'll hit on. That's up to him. So, uh, But we'll do our best here to prepare for that regardless. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Very good. Our psalm this week has been Psalm 46, you know, the basis for a mighty fortress, uh, fitting given that Reformation Day was Tuesday. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. 
Amen. Okay. Memory verse, one more time for the week. See if you can do it without looking. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3, verse 15. And our creed. Well, rather, our catechism is from the creed, the second article this week. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. I don't know why it's flashing at me there. Why is it flashing? Who knows? Okay, so the Old Testament reading for tomorrow is from Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Question mark. All right, so prophetic voice here. Um, one of the things that we notice with prophetic, prophetic speech is that it uses all the various kinds of rhetorical um, techniques that you might use. <clears throat> Sometimes we'll, we'll have humor, um, and in this case, we have, not humor, but um, hyperbole, right? Uh, what shall I come before the Lord? What can I give to him? Burnt offerings? Calves a year old? Right? Well, now, he actually did command those, right? But are those going to give um, access to the Lord? No, they forgive sins, right? Well, that gives access. Then, uh, hyperbole, verse 7. Pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil. Uh, even giving my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And we've talked about that before. The ancient world, child sacrifice was known for, but would it actually appease God? Hmm. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, so the question is, what does that mean? Uh, for this, I think it would be fitting for us to consider... Um, actually what Luther has to say on his lectures on Micah. This would be the Altberg text. What year is this from? That's what we need to see. Uh, does it give me a year for when he would have given uh, his lectures on Micah? 15, uh, Amos was 1525. He started with the Minor Prophets in 1524. Micah was finished by April 7th of 1525. 1525. So we're right in the thick of the Reformation, so it should, um, should be pretty complementary to what you would read in something like the Augsburg Confession of 1530, five years later. All right. So chapter 6, uh, let's see, beginning in verse 6. What shall I, with what shall I come before the Lord? The prophet is explaining himself. The meaning is this. With what shall I appease the Lord? With what shall I head off his wrath? That's the important question. It shall come to pass that I, he will punish you and you will be eager to head him off. But you are wrong. The worship you decide on is wicked. Your heart is unclean. 
Therefore, your works, no matter how great they are, are of no account. Right? That's Luther's assertion there. And I think it's also the prophets. Okay, and bow myself before God on high. This is a clear and evident text against the righteousness of works. Right? We're going to get to that. An idea that Isaiah has also described in many words in chapter 1. He is manifestly condemning gestures and external works, however fine they may appear, if the heart is not pure. For works which come from an impure, wicked heart do not please God, not even those which he otherwise has commanded. We talked about that the sacrifices. If they're not done in faith, they benefit you not at all. Same thing, with the, by the way, uh, with the Lord's Supper. Right? If it's not received in faith, it doesn't benefit you. It actually hurts and harms you right, to receive it outside of faith. One may see clearly, both here and in Isaiah, that even works commanded by the law, like sacrifices, are condemned because they were doing them with self-confidence and in the righteousness of the flesh. Because even those things which the law of God requires have no value without faith. How much less valuable will be the spurious works of our monks, etc. Shall I give my firstborn? And here we're talking about the, the heathen who sacrificed their sons and daughters to the idol Moloch. Right? Here you might think of the state of Michigan, um, who have decided that Moloch is their god, uh, legalizing this week abortion up until um, delivery, and even after delivery in some cases. It's called child sacrifice. <clears throat> Ancient religion. Right? And abhorrent, of course, especially to us as Christians. Even the Jews lapsed into this wickedness so that they thought that they, like Abraham, were pleasing God by sacrificing their children. This is what the prophets were alluding to in Deuteronomy 12, 31. All right, I shall show you, O man, what is good. This is a wonderful teacher. <coughs> Excuse me. That he not only reproves what is wicked and false, but he shows what is right and good. All right, uh, this is actually a really important note. It's not enough, as uh, we see in our, in our world uh, of punditry, right? The people criticizing and, and um, saying, here's what's wrong with the world, whether it's uh, on the left or on the right or in the centrist position. It doesn't really matter, political or otherwise. Um, if they don't offer a positive vision... I say, here's, instead of doing what is wrong, here's what is good and right and true. Let's do that, right? So, you know, conservatives typically have this uh, problem. We complain about the culture wars and all the dev devolution of our culture, but we also need to commend then to people what is good, right, and true. Marriage, family, um, uh, chastity, you know, um, fleeing, uh, fornication, and uh, lust of the heart, things that lead to lust, all those sorts of things, right? That's a positive vision for marriage and family. Instead of just the saying, here's what's, where we've gone wrong, um, and actually the way to show it is not simply to say it, but to do it. And this is, I think, where the Christian church in particular has um, dramatically failed. And in our attempt to, re out, to reach out um, to unbelievers and to um, obviously absolve them, forgive them, and lead them um, into the church, we fail to actually reprove them and discipline, uh, or reprove and discipline ourselves, I think is actually the bigger problem, right? Um, to be the positive example to them, all right? Um, so we generally just don't even talk about how we don't really practice what we preach. Hopefully at least turn to a life of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and if not, also then the spirit working, repent, um, working a, a new life in us. All right, so yeah, it's not enough just to say what's wrong, wicked and false, but to show what is right and good. The duty of the prophets is not is to censure not merely external bad behavior, but especially hypocrisy, as we've been talking about, in order to humble and confound the proud hypocrites, who sorely offend God with their hypocrisy, going through the motions, for example, and in the meantime think that they are the only people who please God. God is looking for people who are truly righteous, truly holy, not for hypocrites, whom he hates very much. 
Here we see the same thing clearly. The prophet is calling people back to their original sincere and good devotion, which he completely embraces with these parts. All right? And this is probably the most controversial section, verse 8. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Up to this point, the prophet was assailing their wicked external morals. Here he is turning to the true worship of God or to a truly good behavior, which God requires of the devout. To do justice. And this is probably the most misunderstood phrase, especially today with all of our, um, mm, yeah, what do they call it? Uh, the woke ideology. All right. I've explained this phrase several times to do justice earlier in other prophets. It means to harm no one, to render to each person what is his own, to bother no one. On the other hand, to help others, to promote their welfare, to prevent damage and violence, so that the wealthy may not surround and oppress the needy, and so that the guilty may be punished and the innocent protected. This is what is said in Jeremiah 7, verse 5. If you execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, that is, if you restrain the wicked and protect the good. This then applies to all people, for the prophet wants them to be influenced in such a way that they be concerned about the public peace, so that the state may be in good condition and each person may in peace enjoy what is his own. Right. So this is very different than the woke ideology, which takes what is each man's own and tries to redistribute it to those who um, have not earned it. Right, but also um, we have a state that is in not in good condition. Right, wickedness is not punished. Right, um, the good is not commended, and uh, <clears throat> certainly go unnecessarily into conflict and to warfare. Right, uh, so where were we? But he says clearly to do justice because he wants to see these things presented not merely with words, but with the matter itself. With this one expression, he has embraced the good part of Christian behavior or of Christian morals. You see, violence against one's neighbor is forbidden. Then covetousness, that I should not covet my neighbor's goods or wish him ill, but protect him, ward off danger from him, etc. Whoever does this will incur the hatred of many people against himself, for tyrants and others who strike out against the poor will be annoyed by resistance against themselves. Therefore, whoever resists them can do so only with the danger to his reputation in life. Persecution follows immediately, for Satan cannot do genuinely good works, but hypocrisy he is capable of to the highest degree. In fact, he establishes and promotes hypocrisy, that by it he may lead men away from true godliness, from faith in God, to their own works and righteousness. The flesh gladly um, hears and says these words, but it does not do what the words say, nor can it, except to be renewed by the Spirit. All right? Uh, mercy, chesed, right, is uh, to, be blessing, to be a blessing to others, to Show mercy as mercy has been shown by Jesus, right? To walk humbly with your God simply means here uh, to follow his word, right? To do what he's, to hear his word and do what it says. And he gives some examples of that. Or here's, here's a good summary. This too is to walk humbly with God. That is to have a humble and lowly regard for oneself, to walk without guile, to want always to hide and to strive for no glory or honor by good works and to seek and gain, to gain what it, the, that wicked self-esteem and that malicious state of mind cannot attain, right? So it's to not be selfish, but to trust. You can see that uh, what the prophet has in mind, and really what the Christian confession has in mind, is something very different um, than what we see in our world today, all right? And what we see around us. Um, what is called justice is not justice at all. What is, what is said to be mercy is not mercy at all, uh, Instead, um, we, we hear people calling their enemies, enemies that they are, truly, uh, according to the flesh, 
uh, but calling them animals and not worthy to live and, and calling for genocide. Well, that's not mercy, no. To walk humbly with your God is not to live um, in faith toward God and love for your neighbor, but rather to live for oneself, always seeking to gain for oneself, right? Oppressing the poor, for example, is one of the examples Luther gave. Right? Uh, so where is this going to come from? This is only going to come by faith through the word. It's only going to come by the work of the spirit in the hearts of sinful men and women and children. All right. So pray that God do that work, that, that justice and humility and mercy in you that he has bestowed upon you. All right. And then the epistle for tomorrow is from Philippians chapter one. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. All right, this is quite different than what we've been hearing from Galatians um, as we've been reading through that book, right, where Paul gave a little bit of a encouragement and then went straight into uh, reproving them for their uh, behavior and their uh, trying to turn back to the law and to forsake the gospel and its predominant pre, pre, uh, position, right? Here, with the church in Philippi, it's a little bit different, right? I thank my God always. I make requests for you for joy because we, we share the same faith. We are in fellowship with one another. Uh, I know that God will complete the work that he's begun, with you, begun in you that will be complete in the day of Jesus Christ. It's at his coming again. And it's right for me to think this way um, because you've thought of me this way. You partake with me in the grace. You've been oppressed the way that I've been oppressed. Right? I long to be with you, but I can't, right? Because he had other work to do. And then, then he actually blesses them and says, I pray that you know, the, the work that uh, was begun in you will, will increase. In other words, you'll increase in knowledge and discernment. You'll recognize the things that are good and right and true and uh, live according to what God in Christ has said and spoken, being sincere and without offense. And then that the Spirit would work the fruits of righteousness in you. Right? This is all... Um, a word of blessing or encouragement, but it's not something that um, you can do. It's not as if now you're encouraged to work harder at being righteous or something. No, these are words of blessing that bestow what they what they say, as as Jesus' words always do, right? And now this is spoken by Jesus' apostle, but uh, it's just the same. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe there's something to be learned here uh, by pastors. Um, I try to encourage you with telling you who Jesus says that you are and the promises or of that the gifts that he would give um but i don't necessarily always pray that god would increase in you the things uh, that he promises and um that's just a shortcoming of mine i haven't right maybe recognized it until this moment but um the things that i see as shortcomings well what would be the right answer to uh, the right way to go about it is actually pray that god increase them amongst you right pray that um um that, are, that you would be faithful in God's word, that you would uh, attend to uh, divine service as often as you're able, that you would find your hope and confidence in your baptism, that 
um, the Lord's Supper would strengthen and renew you um, in, in faith and in life, that, um, that you would live in love for your neighbor increasingly day by day, that uh, fathers would, would serve in their godly vocation and, and teach their children the faith uh, so that this generation, generation after generation is preserved in that faith. I think that's what Paul is doing here. And it, it is interesting that um, our formula of Concord does something similar, actually. And we've read a lot from this article. It's Article 11 of the Formula of Concord. It's probably one of the least well attended to, and I think probably then least well understood as a consequence, which has to do with God's foreknowledge and election, meaning he's chosen you uh, for salvation. So I'm trying to see where I want to jump in here. Um, there's a whole section called the affirmative statements. So all the things the Bible says about God's choosing and electing of you, like protecting you against great weakness, uh, in your great weakness against the devil, the world, and the flesh. It gives some citations. To strengthen and increase and support to the end the good work that he has begun in you. Well, there's Philippians 1, right? Verse 6. Uh, so that you cling to God's word, pray diligently, abide in God's goodness, and faithfully use the gifts that you've received. Right? And then finally, that he will eternally save and glorify in life, e- eternal those whom he has elected, called, and justified. All right, all this is according to God's promise. So you want to go and look at Article 11 of the uh, Solid Declaration of the Formula, where you see all of God's assurances of not only your salvation, but the work that he has promised to accomplish in you. All this, according to the scriptures, is included in the teaching about God's eternal election to adoption and eternal salvation, and is to be understood by it. All right. Um, well, there's some more positive statements here. Yeah, there's so many things we could talk about. I think we could actually spend uh, a great deal of time in Bible study actually going through all the scriptures that are testified to. Right? Holy Scripture testifies that God who has called us is faithful. So when he has begun a good work in us, he will also preserve it to the end and perfect it. If we ourselves do not turn from him, but firmly hold on to the work begun to the end. He has promised his grace for this very purpose. Right? So you see the same kind of language there. Uh, the solid declaration is a little bit longer, but I think you get the idea here. Many hear the word and receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing they fall away. That's Jesus, um, his parable of the sower, Luke 8. The reason is not that God is unwilling to grant grace for perseverance to those whom he has begun a good work. There it is again. But that is contrary to St. Paul. The reason is that they willfully turn again, turn away again from his commandment, grieve and embitter the Holy Spirit, involve themselves again in the world's filth, and redecorate their hearts as homes for the devil. Then their last situation is worse than the first. Right? So, God has promised to complete the work, right? so don't turn away from it. And it's meant to be a great um, and glorious consolation that God is always concerned about your conversion, righteousness, and salvation, you and every Christian. Like I said, I think the article on election and predestination, we missed the point. Um, it's not to say, am I saved? Am I one of the saved? It's rather um, to encourage and comfort the Christian to know that they are assuredly saved. Um, confidence, assurance, this is uh, really unique, I would say, um, to the churches of the Reformation, in particular the Lutheran confession. Um, if you ask, generally ask a Christian, do you know you are saved? Um, they don't always say yes. Uh, you might be surprised the responses you'll get. Maybe it's worth an experiment. All right, And then we could say, actually, I think we do want to go through and study this whole article, Formula Article 11 someday. All right. So again, justice, mercy, and humility 
are fruits of faith worked in you by Jesus Christ, who you can be confident will work it in you and complete it in, in his own day, in his day. All right, so there's your encouragement for the day. All right, let's sing a little bit of our hymn for the week, Through Jesus' Blood and Merit. Colleague for the week. O Lord, keep your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection she may be free from all adversities and devoutly given to serve you in good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray this day in Thanksgiving with Amy celebrating her baptism. Continue to pray for all the households of our church, but especially this week with Ron and Nancy, Karen, Graydon, Joan, Philip and Julie, and Carol. For our catechumens, for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, for our homebound, for the missions and mercy work of the church, and for the family and friends of Marion who grieve her death. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, 
that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's the Congregation of Prayer for today, Saturday, November 4th, 2023. Uh, it's good to have you with us here this day. It's pre-recorded. Um, I'm going to have to do a whirlwind tour of recording today uh, so that you can continue to have daily prayer here online next week. So I'm recording this on Friday. And uh, yeah, that, that I'm going to be gone. Let's see. I'm going to be in Fort Wayne Sunday through Tuesday. I'll be back on Wednesday, and then we'll be gone again uh, Thursday through the following Tuesday. All right. Um, so the first is Good Shepherd Institute, as I mentioned, and there we'll be thinking of Luther's um, Reformation of the Divine Service. Then, um, after returning for a day, playing a little bit of catch-up, then um, it's Esther's Make-A-Wish. You know, Esther has seizure disorder. Um, she did a Make-A-Wish uh, for princesses, and those princesses are apparently in Florida. And so Make-A-Wish is sending us all to Florida. Thanks be to God for that. We thank them. Um, what, a, what a generous gift, right? Um, and I'm sure it'll be a memory that she won't ever forget. All right. So, Lord be with you all and keep you safe. Um, I won't see you tomorrow, um, but you will see, us on, see me online again on Monday. So I hope you can join us then. God be with you all. See you soon. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.